0: You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Inside Healthcare. I'm your host, Dave Smolar, Senior Multimedia Specialist here at NCQA. NCQA, the National Committee for Quality Assurance, exists to improve healthcare in America. We want to make care better for everyone. We set expectations of healthcare organizations, measure their performance, and highlight those that do well. And we use science to help us build better health and better choices for all Americans. If you're a fan of this podcast or have feedback, write to us at communications at ncqa.org. We look forward to hearing from you. On this episode of Inside Healthcare, our main interview covers two big topics. We discuss issues that are important in gender health equity, just one of many subsets of health equity. Bridging and ultimately resolving gaps in health equity is one of NCQA's main goals, and that's why we have products like our health equity accreditation programs. The other topic on today's show, pharmacists and their place in the healthcare ecosystem. Our interview features two leading pharmacists, both vocal advocates for their profession and for pharmacists' valuable contribution to health and healthcare. For this interview recorded live at NCQA's Inaugural Health Innovation Summit in November 2022 in Washington DC, my guests were both board certified geriatric pharmacists. Both represent Kansana, a Texas-based pharmaceutically centered healthcare company helping change the face of MTM. Medication Therapy Management, steering pharma providers away from traditional one-size-fits-all models of business and models of care. Lisa Morris serves as Executive Director of Clinical Services for Kinsana, She's also an FASCP, that's a fellow in the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists. Before that, she was regional pharmacy resource for a large skilled nursing facility corporation where she was responsible for optimal clinical outcomes, utilization management, regulatory compliance, and interdisciplinary education. Lisa's on a mission, she says, to elevate pharmacists as key members of the interdisciplinary team by focusing on medication optimization while creating a healthcare environment that fosters innovation and excellence. Carmen Stevens is Vice President of Clinical for Kansana, where she is responsible for the strategic direction and clinical development. She's an executive-level pharmacy thought leader with more than 20 years experience in a variety of pharmacy practice settings. Carmen's primary clinical focus has been high-risk populations, with a particular interest in de-prescribing through comprehensive medication management in older adults and patients with intellectual or developmental disabilities. In this interview, you'll hear Lisa and Carmen talk about pharmacy, as well as the seminar on gender equity and gender care that they presented at the summit. And you'll learn why it's important, pharmacologically and otherwise, that care not be restricted for people suffering from gender dysphoria or going through gender transition. Lisa Morris and Carmen Stevens, welcome to the summit and welcome to Inside Healthcare.
1: Thank you. Hello.
0: So, you did a seminar today called Bridging Gaps and Improving the Care Experience for Transgender Individuals with Comprehensive Medication Management. There's, there's a lot to unpack within there, um, and uh, it's, it's for us on the show, it's a unique experience to have pharmacists uh, and somebody representing pharmacists on the show. Uh, we haven't had that voice yet. Uh, especially in these terms, so I'm grateful to have you here and and hope you'll have an opportunity to come back in the future. So, In your presentation at the summit this week, you discussed medication management and pharmacists as a resource for people going through transition or seeking gender-affirming healthcare. Why did you choose this topic? Why focus here on medication management for transgender individuals?
1: Well, it, it was really sort of an easy decision. Uh, we we know that this is a, a really great forum for this sort of topic. Uh, this is what we do. Uh, we, we manage medications for people all over the country and. A lot of those people just happen to be transgendered individuals. Uh, and so we thought it was a timely topic. We thought that it was something that people aren't really talking about. And so when we started really looking at it and putting it together, we thought, wow, well, this is a really great audience that we could share our experiences with and maybe help others build a more inclusive, culturally competent. Healthcare organization or program, you know, whatever somebody else is looking for. So, we just thought
2: we could share our experiences that way. Agreed with Carmen. I will say um, this is becoming more and more relevant to us as we talk with patients across the US. Um, and we're learning as we go. And so, we wanted to share what we've learned. Um, it's such a, a critical process and such a gift to be able to talk with folks as they're transitioning.
0: So I want us to think about, if we're specifically talking about people with transgender care, going through whatever they're going, I, I'm not even gonna say transition, going through whatever they're going through, right. um, their patient experience is beyond unique. It's not just that it's unique, uh, it's, it's threatened in a lot of places as well. So we talked offline about how a simple one-on-one phone call between a client or even a patient and a pharmacist can make a big difference. But focusing on the patient experience for a transgender person, tell me how things are right now in, in the US for transgender patients from what you've learned and experienced trying to receive pharmaceutical care.
1: Historically, there's been some, some trauma in some, you know, some places that that maybe you know this population wouldn't be welcome or wouldn't be recognized, and so we talk about this in our, our our presentation how this population has largely, at times, maybe even not gotten the care that they need. So this has really caused gaps for them as a as a population, and so maybe. That's led to poor outcomes, increased costs as a whole, because you know they not only are maybe they're transitioning, maybe they're not, but there's there's lots of other comorbidities that might exist as well. So these are these are people. So just like every other adult in the U.S., you know, sixty percent of U.S. adults have one or more chronic condition. So, you know, if you think about that, well, that applies to this population as well. So there's other things going on that need to be managed. And so if if, these, if people are shying away from getting medical care because of feeling that they might be demonized or ashamed or asked questions that they don't want to answer or misgendered, those are, those are all very important. So I think that the you know I think it's getting better I think that when you have conversations like we are having it's, it's starting to get better I think that uh, we have a, a still a little bit of a ways to go I you know it's it's interesting to me that I have not seen anybody really talking about what we're talking about there's when we started doing research for this this discussion it was a little bit hard to find information. There is quite a bit of stuff out there. There's some good stuff from the human rights campaign and things like that. And there is stuff specific to pharmacy out there, resources and things that you can use as a, as a pharmacist or as a, as a pharmacy. But still, I feel like the availability of it is not as wide as it could be. So it's, it's getting better, to answer your question.
0: Well, so Lisa, I think we... I think you just answered a lot of questions, <laughs> but um, if you could tell us about um, wh- what would you advise pharmacists if they're trying to do outreach or trying to work one-on-one with a, a transgender person, transgender patient, um, what advice would you have for them?
2: Gosh, there's where to begin. Um, I think pharmacists are uniquely positioned uh, to deal with folks going through any sort of comorbidity um, along with transitions Um, just you know as a profession we're open and so that would be my first thing to say is um, remain open as pharmacists that's what we're trained to be Um, remain aware of all the other things that are going on I think that once somebody comes to you and feels comfortable talking to you uh, we talk about this all the time at work. This, this is a conversation, a very personal and meaningful conversation. Um, and maybe you tend to focus just on the transition, but in reality, what we need to focus on is the whole person. So that's that conversation. And then we need to have another conversation. That's, I feel like, our mission um, as pharmacists and our responsibility is then to take that information to the care team to make sure that we've got this person-centered care and we have a primary care team that's fully involved so that we get better outcomes and we have a comfort level. So remaining open and taking that message out is important.
0: You know, obviously you're right that you're not starting from scratch here. You're starting from, you know, the idea of trying to feel empathy and sympathy for patients, for don't say patients, for anybody who's, who's coming up to you um, as a pharmacist. Um, and and there's a, lot to, there's a lot to build on that uh, you're already dealing with. You have somebody, for example, if somebody comes in and they're asking for a medication and they have some medication, some therapy that they've been on for a while, and suddenly they were prescribed something new for whatever reason. There's a lot of anticipation and a lot of anxiety that goes along with that. And you don't know what's in that person's head. They might be putting on a face for you as well to, to protect themselves. Talk about Consana um, and whatever solutions I'd say, whatever advice from the Consana side. Um, do you have uh, education programs, outreach programs that you put together in terms of how pharmacists can help um, and handle situations with uh, transgender patients?
1: Yeah, so we, first and foremost, we, we use the, the APHA MTM training program. All of our pharmacists go through that. Most of our pharmacists go through that uh, to start with. So that, that has a lot of really good resources in it, just in having conversations with patients and and getting to know them, And so I think that is a very good place to start in having that dialogue and getting patients to open up in terms of motivational interviewing and things like that. So how to phrase what you're saying and how to uh, do that without causing someone to, you know, to shy away, but getting them to open up to you. So I think those are some very good d- good tools there in that patient care, patient-centered care process that APHA has developed. So that's kind of the, the foundation. And then we use some other things as well. There's some uh, AHRQ uh, material that we use and some, uh, some things from uh, PQA as well. Uh, all of those things are, are very good that we've incorporated into our training programs for our pharmacists.
2: I would also add that um, we are open with each other. So when you talk with one of our pharmacists, you've really got a whole team of pharmacists behind them. Um, If there's something that we run across, maybe that we haven't encountered before, we reach out to each other. So you're getting the full benefit of a lot of different minds, you know, and um, the best care that you can get.
0: So when it comes to pharmacy and supporting pharmacy and supporting the the individuals, the pharmacists as well, uh, there's a lot of thought from your perspective that most people, even within healthcare, might not know. I'm sure once they do, they'll respect it, but they might not realize it. And I know for me. My first, the first thing I would think of if somebody says pharmacy is that if I have something wrong, whatever it happens to be, and I go to PCP, I go to a clinic, they might uh, give me some script and then I have to go to the pharmacy and I go in and pick it up. And the mentality I have, the psych I have in my head is that I start with a problem, I go to somebody, they tell me what I should do and what I should take, and they write it out and that's, that's the solution, that's the end of it. And it's the chore of going to the pharmacy to pick it up because I wasn't handed this thing. It's another thing that I have to do. It's not even that it feels like the end of my patient visit. It's it's that it feels like this is an extra thing for me to do. And pharmacy is not extra. Pharmacy is part of a healthcare journey. It's part of a workflow. Um, do you? I mean, I I think that's what you've been saying to me uh, offline. Do, do you feel like? Um, pharmacists have been treated as outliers in the uh, in the eco in the healthcare ecosystem. As we've been saying it this week,
2: I'm going to say that um, it is time for us to work at the top of our license. Is what we like to call it. You know the level of training and the years of work that you go through to become a pharmacist and truly become the medication expert. Make us different than any of the other healthcare providers out there. And that is why we promote this team aspect of healing people, of not just healing people, but healing healthcare. That's why we need to be an integral part of the healthcare team. Um, you know, we aren't trained to diagnose, but we know medications. So once somebody is diagnosed, we're the person to come to to see what's optimized. We also, because we're sort of that end of the line stop after your your doctor visit, we may be the only ones that see every medication you're taking and see all of your history and all of your diagnoses, and that's a critical point right there where we can really be of help so that everything is taken care of, all of your um, the things that you're managing and potential interactions and concerns so i'm gonna let carmen jump in yeah i i agree and i i also think
1: too that a lot of people don't realize that we have quite a bit of training in chronic disease state management so we're not just medication experts so it's not just product focused care it's it's also whole person focused care from a clinical pharmacist so you're going to get that entire that entire person looked over so not just the medications the other thing is too I think, I like to consider us as sort of a navigator, if you will, or a translator or a bridge between the patient and the physician. Because especially nowadays with you know PCP shortages and physicians are so stretched out, they're so busy, nursing shortages, things like that, everybody has so much on their plate. We as pharmacists can really help, especially with what we do, we have so much time to spend with that patient speaking to them getting to know them learning about them and we can really take that information and translate it into healthcare speak for the doctor or the nurse and say, hey, here's what's going on with your patient and, and go back and forth. We can kind of be a go-between or a bridge if we need to.
0: And that's for the interdisciplinary team. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's where it comes from and that's where it fits in. It's not a part of where along the line do I fit in. It's it's a, a continuum. Yeah. And, it
1: is and a you have continuum. to
0: figure out where the pharmacist is. Uh, but when you're talking about a healthcare journey, if you were talking about a, you know, a, a linear journey just for one patient with one issue, they get all the way down to the pharmacy. You are absolutely right that as much as we're talking about digital services and improvements in interoperability and uh, fire as uh, the standard basis for that. Okay, but today, Mm -hmm. it's not like that. Um, And at the least, hopefully, if somebody goes to the pharmacy, especially if they've been going to the same pharmacy or the same system for a long time, Mm -hmm. hopefully all of those EHRs, have piled up, piled up, piled up into one place, one Profile and that is in the hands of the pharmacist. So if you do go to the pharmacist, then hopefully or at some point they can look and say, they they asked you to do this, but then they asked you to that. they gave you a multi, but then you've also been taking you know 5,000 milligrams of magnesium every two hours, and I don't really, I don't think you really want to do that. You know, you'll start seeing spots and pass yeah. out, and so, so they are um, you know doing their job, at, but in place of uh, as a buffer to protect you when. Other specialists are doing their specialty. Pharmacy is doing their specialty. And that makes them part of this team. And that makes them part of this team where it's not in one direction, but you keep referring back to each other and you keep uh, checking and balancing each other.
2: That's, I want to jump in there and say, yes, that is a critical thing that we feel that we do. You know, comprehensive medication management is a multi-step process. And part of that process is that it doesn't end when you pick up the prescription. It's follow-up. It's checking, yeah. it's making sure we have a plan, it's ongoing. And so that's the value right there. So. Well,
1: and you know, just to even add even more to that, with all of that said, when we're talking about the transgendered individual, all of what we just said is even more important because that person during our visit may tell us something that they weren't comfortable telling their healthcare provider. Or maybe in that 15 minutes of rushed in and out of the doctor's office and, and note taking and and maybe the gender, the gender identity was a circle male or female on the chart and they didn't like that or something wasn't right kind of a thing in the office and so they just didn't really feel comfortable about it. And so they didn't really wanna share everything. But during our hour, hour and a half two hour and so on visit over the phone sometimes sometimes it's over video but i i, I do feel like over the phone we actually do get quite a bit more sharing that happens because yeah. it's a little bit more anonymous that way and people tend to open up to us after a while gosh i mean we we and we're kind of lisa and i we call it plain detective you know pharmacists really we are detectives so we're not just looking at that med list I've, I've already done that homework like before I even ever talk to you on the phone I've already done all of my detective homework on that med list and I kind of know what's going on there but when I talk to you that's when the magic happens when you tell me about what's been going on tell me about your hobbies so what do you so what do you do for work and then you tell me little things about how you fell the other day or you get dizzy when you go up the stairs. And that's when I know, oh, uh-oh, how's your blood sugar been? How's your, how's your blood pressure been? Are you checking, are you using your blood pressure machine? Oh, you don't have one. Oh, okay. And that's when we can start to build that whole picture. And it's very much true for the transgender individual too.
0: There's, there's a lot of things that we can talk about. And, and even coming off of there, we can start talking about hospital at home and remote care, <laughs> and solutions for health health equity that, at the very least, seem to seem to start with rebuilding trust with patients who've lost trust in any kind of medical yeah. uh, environment. And a big part of doing that is putting a face on the medical environment and establishing. Somebody, somebody somewhere is going to establish a personal connection with that patient and then the patient starts to feel a comfort level and a trust starts to rebuild. You're absolutely right. I'm going to throw one more question at you. And again, please feel free to come back um, and join us on the show again. So right now, as things are right now, before they improve and, b- and before the the, the state of, of pharmacy improves, you know, in, in terms of being more integrated into the workflow for healthcare. If I'm a patient and I'm going to see a pharmacist, and especially when we're talking about the pharmacist really has to do some qualifying Mm -hmm. every time they see a patient to make sure I know the right questions to ask and then stop and listen and to know what to listen. So in all of those terms, if I'm a patient and I'm walking up to the pharmacist, what are some good questions for me to ask what's some good information that would be useful to the pharmacist to to reveal to them um, if if it comes down to that.
2: I would say the first thing to ask is, "May I speak to the pharmacist? I have some concerns about my medication." Because right then you're going to catch somebody's notice that they need some time, and that's important. Um, we feel like we do that better than anybody else because we are. This is all we do. So we don't have a pharmacy where you pick up prescriptions. All we do is clinical services. So ideally, I think that's, that's where healthcare is going. Right now, something you can do as a patient is ask, does my insurance plan cover comprehensive medication management? If so, where can I call and talk to somebody? You can go to your local pharmacy and ask there, um, but always be open and try to include the pharmacist in your plan and just lay it out there we love to hear all that all of us i think i can speak for everybody in the profession we love what we do and we want you to have a great outcome and feel comfortable coming to us so be open and ask for it
1: yeah and i would just add you know everything that she just said and then ask when you should be taking your medications so I think that's a good one. If you had like a top five, I would add, you know, when, when to take them. So if you can take certain things together, so what time of day, timing is very important, food, no food, that kind of thing. I would add OTCs, so be honest about your OTCs. Do you take OTCs, do you not take OTCs? That's always something that comes out in conversation and it usually comes out a lot later. Oh, by the way. keep a
0: diary and write things down because you'll forget. Yes, absolutely. Especially if it's an OTC that helps you to forget.
1: (laughs) Absolutely, yes. I think all that stuff is very important. And yeah, if you have some other things to throw in there, blood pressure is great. Blood yep. sugar is really great. All that stuff to share with your pharmacist is great, but just keep the conversation going. Say hi to them. Talk to them every time you go in. Have a have a chat with them,
2: especially every time you get a new prescription for sure. Absolutely. Don't miss that. And for just just for clarity, OTC is over the counter. Oh, sorry. Yeah, uh, I always I always have to throw that in there. I'm throwing around supplements. I love yeah. when people talk to us about supplements because guess what? We know who manufactures them. We know which it's important yep. to know what's in them is what is on the bottle what is actually in them how are you going to know unless you talk to a pharmacist um we we know so all of that is important and we we love to hear that yep
0: thank you both for joining us on inside healthcare i really appreciate appreciate your your, your work and your advocacy it's an important voice that needs to get out there and i i, I hope this helps thank,
2: thank you, you so much
0: Lisa Morris and Carmen Stevens, pharmacists and advocates from Kansana, speaking with me at NCQA's first Health Innovation Summit. And now we come to the first Fast Facts segment for 2023, important bites of info for you to share with colleagues and friends. We observe Cervical Health Awareness Month in the U.S. in the month of January, and as NCQA's HEDIS measures include a measure titled Cervical Cancer Screening, or CCS, I thought I'd share some of the latest statistics on the disease, and we'll have more on CCS to follow. The Surveillance, Epidemiology, and End Results Program of the National Cancer Institute, all of which is part of NIH, reports the following cervical cancer stats. Data from 2019 found nearly 300,000 women in the U.S. living with cervical cancer, and 0.7% of women will be diagnosed with the disease at some point. Also, there were 14,100 cervical cancer diagnoses in 2022, That's 0.7% of all new cancer cases for that year. And of those approximately 14,000 patients diagnosed, the NIH estimates 4,280 deaths from the disease, which would account for 0.7% of all cancer deaths. Recent data show the five-year relative survival rate for cervical cancer is at about 67%. Now, according to the American Association for Cancer Research, vaccines targeting the human papillomavirus, or HPV, could prevent 9 out of 10 cases of cervical cancer. The CDC recommends vaccinating girls and boys against HPV as early as ages 11 and 12. So, the good news is, we have a vaccine that seems to be extremely effective. It's tested to be extremely effective, But the tough news, the lack of public awareness and adherence to vaccination schedules still keeps those cervical cancer survivor numbers where they are. So to encourage consistent and appropriate screenings for cervical cancer, NCQA developed our HEDIS CCS measure. This assesses women who were screened for cervical cancer using any of the following criteria. Women 21 to 64 years of age who had cervical cytology performed within the last three years, and women 30 to 64 years of age who had cervical high-risk HPV, HR-HPV testing, or cervical cytology slash high-risk HPV co-testing performed within the last five years. Now altogether, what's the bottom line? Cervical cancer is one of the most common causes of cancer death for American women. But effective screening and early detection of cervical precancers reduces this death rate. So please get vaxxed, get screened, and have a healthy, happy new year. Here's some events coming up for NCQA in 2023. So get your jams and jellies out to write these down please pencil in our one-day Quality Talks event scheduled for May 3rd of this year in Washington, D.C. at the Capitol Hilton. Also, our Health Innovation Summit returns this fall in Orlando, Florida, and this time it's going to be over the course of three days, end of October. And our Quality Innovation Series featuring training and knowledge shares all up in webinars held over the course of a number of months through the year. In fact, right now, many of the 2022 sessions don't expire until the end of March or thereabouts. So run don't walk to education.ncqa.org for more information on how to sign up. As we do on each episode of Inside Healthcare, we now ask for your thoughts on today's show email us at communications at ncqa.org anytime and if you're coming up empty well here's our question of the week what are three questions you should always ask your pharmacist on each visit think about it and then tell us about it and if you have a comment a suggestion an idea for a guest on the show maybe you'd be perfect as a guest on the show Just email us and let us know. It's communications at ncqa.org. And we hope to hear from you soon. Well, that about wraps up episode 96 of NCQA's Inside Healthcare podcast. Thanks again for joining us. This episode's done, but there are plenty that came before it for you to explore and investigate. And you can find us anytime on our website at blog.ncqa.org Or better yet, find the show on any Apple or Google streaming site or app. Whether you're downloading the show or just streaming it, please, if you find us, please follow this show. And we need you to spread the word. Help us build our audience by letting others know about NCQA's work. And if you haven't done so already, connect with NCQA on LinkedIn and Twitter. You'll get video promos for this show that can be shared with your friends and colleagues. And as always, we thank you, our loyal listener, for helping us continue to build our audience, helping our audience to continue to grow. On behalf of our award-winning NCQA communications team, I'm Dave Smolar, and we'll see you again, no doubt. You've been listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast brought to you by NCQA the National Committee for Quality Assurance. Inside Healthcare is available on your computer or mobile device through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and on our blog at blog.ncqa.org forward slash podcast.